Invesco QQQ believes new innovations create new opportunities. Here's to greater possibilities together. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to teach and educate. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Don't be so quick to ascribe today's epic rally to the fact that the House of Representatives passed their version of the tax bill. Sure, it helped. But you know what? We were roaring long before that. Thanks in large part to the efforts of two brilliant chief executive officers. Yep, stocks roared higher today. Dow vaulting 187 points, S&P surging 0.82%, NASDAQ rocketing 1.3%. And much of that comes down to the performance of two stocks. And those stocks are Cisco Ah. and Walmart, Ah. which pleasantly surprised us with their numbers. These are both turnaround stories, people. Nothing proves the worth of a CEO like executing a turnaround. Walmart's run by Doug McMillan, who took over four years ago and has led a remarkable revolution at the retail giant, where 100 million people shop each week. And it is one monster company. First thing he did, though, was drop a bomb. McMillan told us he'd spend as much as possible to take one Amazon. Something that seemed fanciful at the time. It smacked of fiction. But he said he'd do it with value. He said he'd do it with service. He said he'd do it with a better paid, more energized workforce. He understood that Walmart's biggest weakness was keeping good people. Because training new workers is a huge expense. It's dead weight. So he raised the price that he paid people. At the time, it was viewed as heresy. Now it's regarded as brilliant. To make all of this happen, McMillan had to lower the boom on profits, something that almost no CEO at a public company can get away with. But Walmart's still run with the substantial input of the Walton family, and they backed McMillan to the hilt. They want to win. Taking on Amazon isn't easy. But from the looks of the numbers today, he seems to be having some success with much better than expected same-store sales numbers and a phenomenal 50% online growth. This company runs like the Walmart of old, the one I remember when Sam Walton was running around in his pickup truck conquering the retail universe. I am blown away by McMillan's work, and I think he's still early in the process of taking on Amazon as his acquisition of Jet.com from last year is just starting to garner big sales. Plus, we keep hearing that Amazon's going to take the grocery store world by storm now that it's got Whole Foods. But did you know that Walmart, which, by the way, half of its sales are grocery, did you know that they have more than 10 times as many locations as the new Amazon? And their food business is currently in terrific shape. Best, Actually, best in a while. I can't tell you how unusual it is to see a large capitalization stock. Walmart's now worth almost $300 billion, jumping $9.79. That was easy. Almost 11% in a single day. But when you consider how much time and thought and effort McMillan put into this resurgence, all you can do is say, congratulations, Mr. McMillan, for your visionary efforts. How about the other big driver of this rally? Technology company Cisco. Now, Cisco is long, is long considered the backbone of the Internet, but it had struggled with changes in the industry, and its revenue growth had slowed to a crawl. 
Cisco, once the fastest growing company in tech land, had become a value play of all things with a ton of cash and a very large dividend. So the company appointed Chuck Robbins, the senior vice president of worldwide sales at the time, as the new CEO in 2015. He immediately decided to go all in on the cloud, really taking it to those who have been nipping at Cisco's heels, offering better security systems, analytics by way of some timely acquisitions and some brilliant ones. For the last two quarters, though, Robbins had counseled patience. He wanted to honor a promise in retrospect, but that counseling caused a lot of selling sending the stock from $32 down to 30 when we last reported. I think the stock stopped going down right there because at those levels, it supported about a yield of about 4% and a $70 billion cash word, much of which is overseas and could benefit enormously if the Senate can now pass the tax reform bill that is somewhat similar to the one in the House because that money would then be repatriated. Whether the repatriation will be good for the economy is debatable, but it will certainly be good for Cisco's shareholders, who should benefit from both big buybacks and perhaps even a larger dividend. Cisco will certainly be able to pay one if they get their hands on that cash. Last night, the company reported a terrific quarter. More important, it predicted that it could grow revenue sooner rather than later, possibly of a 3% increase. That shocked the street. It immediately caused an upward revaluation of the stock. Cisco's a growth stock again. It also got, it's also beginning to get credit for its substantial cloud-deferred revenue, which is giving its company a much more highly valued service component. We pay more for service than you do for hardware. Okay, All of its acquisitions are, point, are pointing that way, and the payoff is at hand, including with security, which grew an astounding 8% clip, must be taking share, right? And taking names, too. Cisco may once again become a must-buy for businesses trying to build out their Internet presence. No wonder it soared 5% in a single day. Again, a big move. It's a $178 billion company. Chuck will be our guest on Squawk on the Street tomorrow to talk about this fabulous turn in his company's fortunes. Now, these turns are reminiscent of a couple of other recent reinventions. Steve Easterbrook, he took the helm at McDonald's when the stock was in the 90s. It was widely written off as a wayward fast food joint. A little more than two years later, and the stock's 168. He came in with guns blazing, offering all-day breakfast, and it caused some good growth. But a year later, people thought, oh, this thing's played out. I'm going to sell it. Wrong! Easterbrook accomplished what many thought was impossible. He re-energized the franchisees. They really do the, the heavy lifting. The people responsible for the day-to-day running of the stores. And he did it for thanks to a simplified menu, greater value, led to some astounding 4% same-store sales growth in the company's most recent quarter. Most food chains put up numbers well short of that. This stock has been a horse. I don't know if you've been to one lately. I don't know if you've been to Walmart lately. I went to Walmart last month. It was fantastic. I was at McDonald's last week. Still the hottest coffee. Nice, clean. It was on Sunday. Beautiful. Near Bristol, Connecticut. You ought to check it out. Anyway, we've seen other turns in big Dow stocks of late, too. Caterpillar under Jim Humpleby and Boeing under Dennis Muehlberg. They have seen their stocks advance 47% and 90% respectively. But I would be remiss if I didn't mention that their predecessors, Doug Oberhelman at Caterpillar and Jim McNerney at Boeing, both put their companies in a position to reap the gains now that the global economy's kicked into high gear. Now, the people running two other Dow companies, so we got to talk about them for a second, IBM and GE. They're being tested even as we speak. I believe IBM is on the cusp of a turn, thanks to its cloud initiatives and a new mainframe cycle, and also, of course, because of a weaker dollar. In fact, I believe this is the last week revenue quarter. That's right. Will it lead to a turn in the stock? Well, that's a different story. Why? Warren Buffett, once IBM's largest shareholder, seems to be dumping stock at an aggressive pace. We saw he sold a third of his position in the last quarter. But you're being paid to wait here with a 4% yield as CEO Ginny Rometty hopefully completes a reinvention of the company as a fast-growing cloud and data, data analytics business. You know what? It feels a lot like Cisco before this quarter. 
As for General Electric, new CEO John Flannery has his work cut out for him, something that didn't become obvious until very recently when the company fessed up about how badly it was really doing, despite massive reassurances that things were going great guns from his predecessor. Can he turn it around? And if so, in what time frame? I think that if Flannery can offload GE's oil and gas business, and I would suggest he actually breaks it up in pieces. That would be the best way to do it. And sells a bunch of the other Flotsam and Jetsam. He might have enough money on hand to split the company into three, several, three separate businesses. And that's exactly what I would do. Hey, by the way, that's what Ed Breen did at Tyco. And then he split and split some more. And he's going to do it again at Dow DuPont, which is one of our uh, charitable trust holdings. I suggest you look into that one. Investors have soured on conglomerates with few synergies. This one has none of them. Jury's still out about it, though. Stock was uh, down a penny today on a really big rally. It's less than a dollar from its lows. And the jury's out, if only because I don't think anyone at the board knew how bad things were either. And there seems to be a sense that there's no point in trying to figure out what went wrong. I think you've got to do that. I think it's a big mistake to not look at it. The GE Flannery inherited needs to be fixed root and branch. Not unlike what he did with the LA Healthcare Division just, yeah, not that long ago. Here's the bottom line. A successful term requires the person at the top to truly change the company's culture while motivating the entire remaining workforce. These turns can occur, as Cisco's Chuck Robbins and Walmart's Doug McMillan showed us today. And when you find these stories, they are incredibly lucrative long term, as long as you can get into them right and stay into them for the long haul. Let's go to Ian in Utah. Ian! Booyah, Jim. Can you hear your team over there doing a great job? Oh, yeah. So, oh, my team is brilliant. My they make me look today, brilliant. <laughs> yeah, they are brilliant. So uh, with the popularity of Tesla and even them introducing now today a so-called Mack truck, uh, and with Volvo com- going all electric cars by 2020, batteries are the big thing. Time to take a more serious look. I'm looking to make a play on Cobalt, and I'm looking into the stock FCX. Oh, man, I tell you the truth, I'd rather, be, I'd rather have you be an FMC than FCX. FCX is too levered to China. FMC's got the, the battery division that you really want. That's your stealth play. That's the one you need to be in. Let's go to Catherine in my home state of New Jersey. Catherine! Hi, Jim. Longtime follower all the way back to uh, before your pre, uh, into the pre-mad money days. And oh, uh, I'm always like watching all of your shows. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. How can I help? Hi, I'd like your opinion on the Senate tax proposal that would force investors to sell their oldest shares first in taxable accounts and how it might affect the popular strategy of having a core position in the stock and trading around it. Catherine, I'm so glad you mentioned this to me because when I saw this, I said, oh, could they just leave this alone? It will uh, impact the way you look. It's just it's a real incentive to just buy and hold. And that's what we've been emphasizing. You know that we do do trade around a core position for action alerts. But, uh, yeah, you're going to have to do more buying and holding than ever, provided, of course, we, we do buy and homework here. Not buy and hold. Let's go to Mike in Georgia. Mike. Hey, Jim. A big booyah to you from Atlanta, GA. Oh, man. I like the Falcons here. It's Chuck Robbins' favorite team. He's got to be real excited about that win last week. How can I help? Well, I'm uh, calling to talk to you about Church and Dwight. They are a uh, consumer products company. They appear to have an outstanding portfolio of the kinds of things that people need to buy, like baking soda, laundry detergent, Carpet and room deodorizer, cat litter, toothpaste, deodorant. They're also they make mm-hmm. Trojan condoms and first response pregnancy kits. Right. And they re- and they recently purchased water pick. Okay. Well, see now here's why you're probably why is the stock going down? You need every one of those 
even if the economy's slow. So people buy it when the economy's slow. But right now the economy's fast, and we want cyclicals and companies that do better when there's a worldwide synchronized growth. And that is not Church and Dwight. It will do consistent, but we want stocks of companies that are inconsistently strong right now. The top dog matters, people. And the worth of that top dog is seen when they turn around a company. Kudos to Walmart's Doug McBillan. Kudos to Cisco's Chuck Robbins, who will be on Squawk on the Street tomorrow. On the everybody tonight, PPG was in the red last year, but it seems to be painting a pretty picture of light. Of late, Can the company put a fresh coat of green in your portfolio? And they got it, by the way, they're in the electric car battery business. Let's sit down with the CEO. Then we've seen this week how some executives can make decisions that can destroy value for shareholders. I'm looking at UGE, but those who are creating value seem to be getting much less airtime. Tonight, I'm changing that. I'm going to highlight an executive that's done a tremendous, tremendous job for shareholders. And I'll reveal the name just ahead. More than 25 million people in America suffer from diabetes, by the way. So I'm going to talk to the CEO of a company that has an app to make their lives much easier. So stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. We know the cyclicals, companies that do better when business is booming, have been totally on fire thanks to the tremendous global synchronized expansion. And that strength extends to PPG, the specialty chemical company that makes all sorts of proprietary paints and coatings. Here's a stock that's up over 20% for the year, thanks in part to a major restructuring announced 11 months ago and the divestiture of his glass business, the flask of the fiberglass, allowing the company to focus purely on paints and coatings where the money is. Plus, even with the hurricanes that shut down so many chemical plants on the Gulf Coast, business remains strong. Look at the numbers. A month ago, PPG reported a robust quarter. Company delivering inline earnings and higher than expected sales thanks to real strength in the performance coatings division. The stock is now within striking distance of its all-time highs. So can it keep climbing? Let's take a closer look with Michael McGarry, the chairman and CEO of PPG Industries, to hear more about the quarter and how things are, are looking for 2018. Mr. McGarry, welcome back to Man Money. Oh, thanks, Jim. It's great to be on. Well, sir, I, when I read through your notes, one thing that struck me is, is that people don't realize that paints aren't all the same. There's technology involved, including the water-based paint. So I actually want to start with China, where you said that environmental uh, rules are making it so PPG can take share. Oh, absolutely, Jim. Uh, we're actually excited, even though the uh, environmental pressure on the uh, companies in China is causing a lot of supply disruption. It's actually very good for us. I mean, we make and have the world's leading technology in water-based coatings. So we have more and more people shifting from solvent-based to water-based, and that's helping us grow share. And obviously, it's helping the environment as well. So it's, it's good for us all, all together. I have to be, if it's good for China, Europe, which is very uh, environmentally concerned, you must be doing well there. I know there were some issues about water during Europe, but not that particular product. No, I mean, our overall refinish business, uh, so when you get an accident, repaint the car, it's up uh, in all our segments. Uh, it's all driven by technology. You know, we help the uh, body shops repair cars faster. We help them color match faster and better. And that has uh, driven uh, increased business for us. 
We've converted more shops from solvent-based to water-based than the whole industry combined, and that includes China, Europe, and the U.S. So it's a very good business. Refinish, I might add, is driven by miles driven as well as uh, congestion, and congestion is driven by employment. So for us, this has been a very good business, and uh, we, we also are helped by uh, distracted driving. It's not good for people, but uh, has been good for our business. Yeah, I thought that was interesting that you related that unemployment to congestion equals collision. So as that goes up, sadly for the people, obviously, who are in collision, but it's great business for you. And that is a, a fantastic one. Now, there's a, speaking of cars, something came out today. I, I just, I don't want to make you into a electric car play because people say, oh, I don't want to buy Tesla. I'll go buy PPG. But you did form a, a, a unique partnership with Synode Systems for vehicle battery technology. Can you tell us about this and whether it could one day be a needle mover? Well, we're working with all the battery companies. Uh, you know, without getting into the particular customers, there's actually more coatings on a battery than there are on the car because uh, what they try to do is try to insulate the battery from the rest of the car uh, from a cooling perspective and also for, uh, you know, prevention of uh, thermal events or fires for most people. So we provide those solutions. In fact, we sell equipment for those solutions as well. So we're working with all the electric car companies uh, whether they're in the U.S. or whether they're in China. And this has been a, a strong business for us. Now, obviously, it's many years away, but uh, when it comes, we'll be on the, on the forefront. But what, when we hear about these car companies saying that their whole line of product will be electric by, say, 2021, we should be thinking PPG. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we are the number one global OEM supplier, whether you're in uh, U.S. or in Europe or in uh, or in China, and uh, we work in China with all the global OEMs as well as with all the local companies. We have number one share with both of them, and so we're gonna we're gonna be well positioned regardless of who's winning, whether it's electric, or whether it's uh, hybrids, or whether it's uh, traditional gas powered. All right, well, one last uh, area of inquiry. I know the PPG uh, under you and Mr. Bunch have always been unbelievable stewards of your capital. You are the least levered I've seen you in a long time. You did it, tried to make an acquisition in Europe, did not work out. But you do have a lot of firepower. Bold on something big. What's going to happen? Big uh, buyback or some of all? Well, it, hopefully it'll be some of all. As, as you know, we announced a 2000. And 17 and 2018 cash deployment target of three and a half billion. Uh, originally, it was two and a half to three and a half. We've upped it to the high end of the range, three and a half billion. You know, we'd like to do acquisitions. As you know, we're a serial acquirer of companies. We're very good at it. Uh, but if we can't find good companies at a fair price, then we'll buy back stock. Uh, so far, you know, through the first uh, three quarters of this year, we're a little bit over 700 million dollars of cash deployment. So we have a lot of uh, dry firepower. We also are sitting on $2.3 billion of cash. Uh, we are under lever in some uh, people's opinion, but we will uh, spend that money wisely because we're always looking at what's best for our shareholders. And uh, we'll continue to be active in the acquisition. But it has to be at a fair price. All right. Fair enough. You've done an unbelievable job seeing it back at the highs. I just love it. Thank you so much to Michael McGarry. He's the chairman and CEO of PPG Industries, one of the cheaper big cap companies that do better when the economy does better. Stay with Craig. there's been a lot of talk about terrible executives who've mismanaged once great franchises right into the ground. 
But there's only so much to say about the catastrophe that is General Electric or the decline and fall of Sears Holdings. Here on Mad Money, we prefer to take our cue from Johnny Mercer and accentuate the positive. Because while a lousy CEO can wreck even the best enterprise, the flip side is also true. As we said at the top of the show, a great CEO can turn a company that may be mediocre into a powerhouse. And stir up a tremendous amount of value in the process. For every value destroyer we got out there, there's a heroic value creator like a Dave Cody of Honeywell or an Ed Breen of Tyco. And now Dow DuPont, a stock I think greatly of. Tonight I've got a new name to add to the list of CEOs with the Midas touch. I'm talking about a man, a man named Miles White, the longtime chairman and CEO of Abbott, the healthcare artist formerly known as Abbott Labs. I've neglected to talk about this fabulous man and the work he's done on behalf of shareholders. But that changes tonight, right here, right now. White took over Abbott in 1999. Since then, he's made his shareholders a killing by totally transforming the company, with the biggest move being the spinoff of AbbVie, Abbott's old pharmaceutical division, into a separate business that was back in 2013. The Abbott of today is a $96 billion healthcare conglomerate with a presence in diagnostics, medical devices, nutrition, and generic drugs. The company is the worldwide market leader in blood screening, immunosay diagnostics, drug-eluting stents, and adult nutrition. It also has a thriving worldwide diabetes glucose monitoring business that's taking on Dexcom for market leadership, something we'll be discussing later in the show with the Dexcom CEO. Abbott's got a diversified business with a global presence that gets 70% of its sales from outside of the U.S., Ooh, not bad when the dollar is weak, huh? More important, under White's tutelage, Abbott has created a tremendous amount of value for you. How much? All right, get this. When White took the helm at the start of 1999, Abbott, which was kind of a mediocre company, didn't really care for it that much. The stock was trading at 22 bucks a share. Keep that number in mind, 22 bucks. Now it's a $55 stock. Okay, may not sound like much of a gain over nearly 19 years, but it's only one part of the equation. Remember, White spun off AbbVie, the drug division, nearly five years ago. And if you held on to your AbbVie shares, you now have a stock worth $94. On top of that, in 2004, he spun off Abbott's hospital supply division, Hospira, which sold itself to Pfizer a couple of years ago for $17 billion. If you held on to your stake from the spinoff, it works out to another $9 share uh, for uh, Abbott. Add it all up. All these different pieces, and you get $159 of value. Meaning if you bought Abbott, when White came in as CEO and you held it along with Abvi, you'd have a 623% gain. Ooh, single stock risk. You ever see those ads? In other words, if you invested $1,000 in Abbott back then, your investment would now be worth $7,230. That doesn't seem like a lot of single stock risk to me. No, it seems like pure stock price appreciation. And we're not even including the dividends, which, by the way, are not inconsiderable since Abbott yields more than 1.9%. Abbott yields 3%. That's some amazing value creation, especially when you consider the S&P 500 is only up 110% over the same period. So how has this Miles White done it? First, he built Abbott's drug business, the division that became AbbVie, into a powerhouse. When White took over in 1999, there was a lot of hand-wringing about how Abbott Labs didn't have any gigantic blockbuster drugs at a time when Pfizer and Merck and Eli Lilly were making fortunes from huge, multi-billion dollar franchises. Abbott was considered to be an also-ran. Within four years, four years, White released his answer to this criticism, and it was Umira. 
It's a vertebral wonder drug for autoimmune conditions that would eventually go on to treat rheumatoid arthritis, plaque psoriasis, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease. It's a miracle drug. For more than a decade, Yumira has been one of has been one of the uh, best-selling drugs on earth. Do you know that this drug did 16.1 billion in sales just last year alone? Yes, Yumira is the best-selling drug on earth by a wide margin, and it was Miles White who found it. White's ability to take Yumira and turn it into a blockbuster drug that it is today transformed Abbott Labs from a laggard into a leader. It's the kind of story business schools. We'll write case studies about for years and years. And before I start getting tweets from people saying that Miles White is no scientist, he's no doctor, he didn't invent Yumira, let me just say this. He did something almost as impressive. He recognized Yumira's potential, and he bought it, acquiring Knoll, BASF's pharmaceutical division, for $6.9 billion in 2001. Remember, last year alone, Yumira Yumira generated more than $16 billion in sales. Just one drug. What a steal. Which brings me to my next point. White has proven himself to be one of the savviest operators in the industry, making brilliant acquisitions and cleverly pruning Abbott's portfolio when necessary. The old deal speaks for itself. Then in 2004, uh, Abbott spun off Hospira, its hospital supply business. We liked the stock, by the way, and recommended it, and acquired Therasense, a diabetes care company. 2006, when Boston Scientific bought Guidant, they were forced to sell Guidant's vascular device divi- a division to get regulatory approval. So Abbott snapped it up for a song. 2007, Abbott took over Cost Pharmaceuticals, for $3.7 billion, picking up Niaspan, a drug that raises your good cholesterol levels, which has sold so well that by the point the, the deal has more than paid for itself. Also in 2007, General Electric tried to buy Abbott's in vitro diagnostics business, but they couldn't agree on a price, so Abbott backed out. While White likes making deals, he's a savvy negotiator, and he won't do the deal if he can't get the right terms. In 2009, Abbott picked up Advanced Medical Optics. That was a play on eye surgery for $2.8 billion. 2010, they purchased the pharmaceutical unit business of Solve, that's a European chemical conglomerate, for $6.2 billion, and also bought Pyramel. And that was uh, Pyramel Healthcare. That's a generic drug business for $3.7 billion. Actually, didn't really like that one, but it did make them one of the largest generic makers in India. After building Abbott's drug business into a powerhouse, White realized that after all this incredible work, the division wasn't getting enough credit from Wall Street. So he spun off the drug biz as AbbVie at the beginning of 2013, with the new Abbott keeping the medical devices, generic drugs, and consumer-oriented assets. Chapel Trust owns that part. Since then, AbbVie stock has nearly tripled. How about the remainder of Abbott under White? It's continued to do deals. Last year, the company announced it would acquire Allier. It's a point-of-care diagnostics company. But then there seemed to be some ill-advised accounting issues at Allier. So White renegotiated the price down, picking it up for $5.3 billion. Most recently, he shut out $25 billion in cash and stock for St. Jude Medical. That's a major medical device maker that do a lot of stuff for the heart that had long been one of our favorites on Man Money. What makes this guy such a savvy dealmaker? It is simple. White has a real talent for anticipating consumers' future medical needs and then aggressively positioning his company to benefit from them. First, obviously, the impact of Umira cannot be overstated. Not only did he see the demand for this fabulous autoimmune drug that nobody else seemed to, but that drug then made billions of dollars, which Abbott could use to fund all his acquisitions I went over. In 2004, White pivoted from hospital products into diabetes care, and sadly, more than a decade later, we know diabetes has become a major growth story in this country. In recent years, he spun off the terrific drug business so that Abbott could focus on medical devices, something that looks prescient when you consider how hated the pharmaceutical industry has become in this country. Drug pricing has been put under a microscope. That's not Abbott's problem anymore, and medical device makers don't have that problem. 
Plus, while I'm not generally a fan of generics, the international generic segment that White embraced has been growing like crazy for the past couple of years. In short, Miles White is an amazing value creator. And what's more, he knows it. When Abbott's stock experienced a period of underperformance last year, White used the weakness to do some aggressive insider buying. Get this, buying $46 million worth of stock in the open market in the low 40s. Now Abbott's at 55. He's up 14 million. Here's the bottom line. Good management is the key to success in any industry, just like we said at Cisco, just like we said at Walmart, and now we're saying at Abbott, and it needs to be celebrated when we find it. Miles White has done an amazing job for his shareholders at Abbott, so the next time you see him do some insider buying, may I suggest you pick up some stock right along with him. Mark in Missouri. Mark! Booyah from Missouri Tigers fam. Mr. Kramer, how are you? I am doing well. How about you? Doing well, sir. Doing well. ACOR, Accorda Therapeutics, got hammered yesterday due to some bad drug trials, is my understanding. Did it get hammered too much? Is it a good time to buy? No. No. When you lose your principal drug, we've seen this happen. Uh, a lot of things bad happen. It doesn't snap right back. I'm going to say no. Let's go to Gilbert in California. Gilbert. But, but booyah, Mr. Kramer. How another you doing another powerful booyah. I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing well. Sunny San Diego can't complain. Hey, John, get your opinion here on McKesson, ticker symbol M. I think McKesson's trying to bottom, but I think it doesn't have the kind of gross margins I really like. I prefer to see you in Abbott, A-B-T. Better story. All right, I can't tell you enough, Kramerica. Management matters. And Miles White from Abbott Labs, he may be one of the greatest value creators that we've never celebrated on Mad Money. And that's on me. That's my bad. All right, much more Mad Money ahead including the company with a futuristic weapon in the fight against diabetes I just mentioned is competing with Abbott. I'll show you how it's saving lives. Then the CEO and founder of one of the hottest chip makers has a new accolade. And it has nothing to do with me renaming my dog after his company. I'll tell you why NVIDIA's head honcho is killing it. And all your calls, rapid fire, tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. Jim, good show. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Good show. Exciting. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. Look, when you're running a business, absolutely nothing, I mean nothing, is worse than competition. And when a competitor comes out with a new product that some people think outstrips yours in some crucial way, well, you get a situation like what happened to Dexcom, the maker of continuous glucose monitoring systems for, di- for diabetics, a company we, we, we have just thought is terrific and still do. Uh, Dexcom's competitor, Abbott, received FDA approval in September for a new monitoring system that doesn't require you to prick your finger at all. Dexcom's current device still needs you to draw a little blood a couple times a day to calibrate the system. In response, Dexcom's stock lost 33% of its value. Still, I told you I thought it could rebound as the company should be able to come out with a similar product in the not-too-distant future or maybe a superior one. Sure enough, the stock has now rallied 19% from its lows, thanks in part to the strong quarter the company reported a couple weeks ago. Even better, on the call, management said they could have a a blood sugar monitor that requires no finger sticks by the end of next year. 
So could this rebound be sustainable, or do we need to keep worrying about the impact of the Savvy Abatory Labs product? Let's check in with Kevin Sayer. He's the president and CEO of Dexcom. Find out more about the quarter and the company's prospects. Mr. Sayer, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you, sir. Good to see you again. Have a seat, Kevin. All right, so look, when it came out, we thought this stuff was dramatic, dramatic decline, and we thought it was way overdone. But there's a guy, Mike Weinstein, we've all known him. I remember when I was a hedge fund manager, J.P. Morgan, downgrading Dexcom, and I think he really hurt the stock. He says it doesn't spell game over for you guys, but... They're going to cut the price at Abbott, which is going to hurt your margins, and they are going to be very aggressive at advertising. So he says we should be concerned. Should we be concerned? I think this is an opportunity okay. uh, when all said and done. Our system offer, offers features uh, that competitors don't. We connect to phones. We share data with people who watch patients. We offer yeah. performance and accuracy that others don't. We've been competing with Libre in Europe for three years now. And you've seen our international growth up, right, it's been up 80% okay. in the third quarter. Right. So it's not like we're getting killed. Our device offers many, many features that our patients find uh, very, well, very important. Well, this is what I'm talking about. It's not apples to apples. And the idea that they may charge less and doesn't have, doesn't have a finger prick versus the ability of parents to be able to see what's going on with their kids through the, a, a device. I mean, why would we sacrifice for four bucks? sacrifice some feature like that. We don't believe that patients will, and patients in Europe have not all run and done that. Right. In addition to that, Jim, as you know, we've run our company over the years. One of the hidden assets of Dexcom is this investment we've made in technology. Right. As we said on the call, we can have a device where you don't stick your finger out, stick your finger to calibrate it. We think we can have it out by the end of next year. But there is a technology pipeline, if you will, that's almost like a, a runway with jets parked on it, mm-hmm. ready to take off. And we think we have an opportunity now to, to get some of those things out. Well, why don't you show us what, it's go- what the world's going to be like? Because you're yet, when you talk about the end of next year, in your business, that's like tomorrow. That's, well, that's like tomorrow. you want to be us. investing for the end of next year. You don't want to invest for this quarter. I mean, this quarter was really good. Good reason to hold on. It was a fabulous quarter. It was it's the best quarter, quarter ever for us. It was by far the best. But why don't you show us some of your wares? Sure. This is our current product today that patients use. Uh, and this of is, which the business is incredibly strong. This is very good. It's gone very well. Uh, it's a little scary looking for our patients, but it's very effective and leads to very good outcomes. As we look at our future pipeline, we focus on three things. Continued performance, mm-hmm. increased patient adherence and convenience, and ultimately cost. Our Gen 6 system that's with the FDA now is a, no, is a single calibration a day system that we think we can evolve to a no-calibration system. Okay. No-calibration means it doesn't have to be, you have to stick. Once a day. Right. As opposed but, to twice. But the Every. first thing we change is the way the product is inserted, uh, the little sensors inserted in your skin. This will require peeling tape off the bottom, hit a button, it's on your skin, a patient doesn't feel it. The little needle that inserts the sensor is in, under your skin. For what the engineers tell me, the time it takes a hummingbird to beat its wings three times. Very quickly, you don't feel it. The profile's thinner, much more convenient. And ultimately, this will cost, even though it's elegant looking, this will cost less to make than that. The end game, and we've talked about our Verily relationship, if I could get this uh, one. The uh, science arm of of Alphabet, not Google. Of Alphabet. Alphabet. We ultimately want to take this technology that's on the body and shrink it down to something, and you see a nickel compared to it. When we can do that and make that cost-effective and more cost-effective than what we have now, we believe we'll have a great solution. This pipeline is very robust. But Miles White runs Abbott. 
and he is one tough guy, and we've earlier profiled him as being one, one of the great wealth creators of all time. If he comes in and cuts price, if he comes in and advertises and talks about how who wants to get stuck with their finger and, and he gets uh, you know, some momentum going, don't we have to worry about, let's say, two quarters from now with Dexcom? I think over the next several quarters, patients who use our product will continue to use it, and we don't see a mass migration because of the features that we have. And those who intensively manage their diabetes, who are dependent upon insulin to control their condition, these, this technology has the features that they need more than, the, more than what Abbott has. Okay, so what are we going to do with the uh, Apple Watch and diabetes? Well, the Apple Watch, our next venture with the Apple Watch, you know the Apple Watch, the new, new one, has an LTE feature to whereby yes. it can go straight to the cloud. So in essence, our, our transmitter will be able to talk straight to the watch. And those features where patients share their data with their loved ones right. won't need to go through the phone anymore. You can put your watch on. That can be your primary device. And, and what about Abbott? What does Abbott have on the watch? Nothing. Thank Maybe. you. That's blend it right there. <laughs> I'm, I'm just be. I mean, to me, this. I'll no, stop. I was totally with Dexcom in this, and it's just. I want people need to know one's feature rich and one is just airphones. Battery with features. That's Kevin Sayer, the president and CEO of Dexcom. I like my watch and what it can do. Abbott doesn't have that. Maybe that's enough. May have money's back into the break. It is time! It's time for the lightning! Please don't stop, Robert Coles. 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 Please don't stop, and then the lightning round's over. Are you ready? Ski Daddy, it's time for the lightning round. Claimers, by the let's start with Tom in my own state of Jersey. Tom. Hi, hi, Jim. It's Tom from Lafayette, New Jersey. What is your thoughts on Lowe's reporting on Tuesday? What's your opinion on Lowe's? Like Lowe's, love Home Depot. That's the one I want you in. Let's go to Nick in New York. Nick. Hi, Mr. Kramer. What's shaking? Thanks for, thanks for taking my call. Happy... Thanksgiving. Oh, same to you. Can't wait. Uh, Jim, I've been in the House of Pain for two years now. My the stock is uh, Blackstone. What do you think? Oh, come on, man. You get that yield. You get a 5% yield. You add that in. If you reinvest, reinvest in dividend, I think you're fine. I want you to stick with it. Let's go to Bob in New York. Bob. Hey, good afternoon, Kramer. How are you? Greatly appreciate your phone call. Thank um, you. I, um... I asked you about Capital Senior Living, CSU. It's gone down about 25, 30 cents at the beginning of the year, but now in the last two weeks, it's gone up 25%. Need your opinion. Well, I, I got to tell you, it's, it's the senior living community business is not one of my favorite businesses, and I'm not going to recommend it here. Uh, other than Ventas, I really just don't care for it. Let's go to Jeremy in North Carolina. Jeremy! Hey, Jim. Big fan. Thanks for taking the call. Thank you. With all the hype around chips, what do you think of uh, Cypress Semiconductor? It's too cheap. We heard from the CEO recently. I think the stock has 18 written all over it. Let's go to Mike in South Carolina. Mike. Hey, Kramer. I'm What's a young veterinarian just, starting, veterinarian just starting out in stocks, so uh, thanks for all your help. Oh, of and course. If a uh, little NVIDIA ever needs anything, I got NVIDIA. you. NVIDIA? Yeah. Hey, it's my needs dog. anything, I got you. Right. <laughs> uh, my stock is Marathi Therapeutics, MRTX. I know he knows it's my dog. Um, okay, this is it. Remember, I like all the targeted oncology companies, but only as specs. No more than 5% of your portfolio, and that's it. Because the ones that win are going to go up big. The ones that lose are going to, like, make you nothing. Adam in Florida. Adam. Booyah, Jim. Adam from Miami Beach. All right. 
with its recent sell-off, is it time to buy Opco Health? Oh, my God, the quarter, not good. I mean, this thing has become a genuine... No, this is like a neighborhood of pain. And uh, until Phil comes on, Dr. Frost comes on, we're going to back away. We have to. We have to. Let's go to Anu in Wisconsin. Anu. Hey, Jim. Thank you for your passion in helping educate us and make us some money. Gets us. What's up? My stock is Symantec. I didn't like the last quarter, Symantec. I prefer Proofpoint if we're going to go in there. Don't forget, Cisco had a security business that grew 8%, outgrowing everybody, clearly taking share. Le- oh, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Sometimes the best person wins. When I read today the fortune named Jensen Wong, the CEO of NVIDIA, its business person of the year, I rejoice. This man is quite simply brilliant. And the company he created is a gem, one of the great enterprises of our time. I want you to read this fortune article, which gives you some tremendous background on Wong and NVIDIA, including a sense of this company being a lot like Intel back in the early 90s, including its stock, by the way, when it was run by the legendary Andy Grove. That is high praise. Andy Grove is maybe one of the greatest CEOs of our time. As Intel became the dominant force under him in personal computers, created billions of dollars in market value. These days, Brian Krasanich is reinventing Intel again. Results have been remarkable. I don't want to disrespect that fabulous company or Brian's work. Still, though, under Wong's stewardship, NVIDIA has become the driving force in growth areas like gaming, the data center, Autonomous vehicles, the hottest trends of our era. The numbers here are remarkable. This quarter, its data center sales more than doubled versus last year. More than doubled. One year. Its automotive sales will only get stronger with NVIDIA's new artificial intelligence computer called Pegasus for enabling level five driverless vehicles. According to the conference call, Pegasus will be 10 times more powerful than its predecessor. It's the leader in the group. Gaming is a gigantic and rapidly growing industry, but if you want a good graphics processor, NVIDIA and AMD are really the only two games in town. And NVIDIA's chips are a lot better. I focused endlessly on the data center, where you get much more power from NVIDIA chips with other, than others. And by the way, with a much smaller footprint, which you know how much that matters. That's a remarkable triple play. I'm not even talking about how you need NVIDIA chips to mine cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. Only AMD really competes here. And again, I think NVIDIA's chips are better. I always tell you to listen to the conference calls. I became enamored of this company. We own shares for the Charitable Trust. You can follow along at the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. After scrutinizing, scrutinizing Wong's fabulous commentary on these calls, these calls are so brilliant. He's so brilliant. you got to read his calls. And I'm glad I did because the stock has nearly doubled in 2017. Really, you know what, though? That's just the tip of the iceberg. Get this. NVIDIA's stock has gone from 25 bucks in February of last year to 211 today. 25 to 211, thanks to these dominant franchises. Why are they dominant? Because Wong saw many major trends coming, like artificial intelligence, like machine learning. When you open a lot of these devices to talk to you, they're based on NVIDIA's chips. It's their sense. It's Adobe. Remember that thing we showed you last? That's based on it. That's based on NVIDIA. When you open the fastest-growing game console, the, the Nintendo Switch, that's NVIDIA, too. So how has Fortune Business Person of the Year been as a predictor of future stock performance? I know there are always these people talking about magazine cover curses that don't apply to this one. 
Last year's winner was Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook. Since his naming, the stock's up more than 50%, trouncing the S&P up 19%. Okay, 2015 winner Mark Parker from Nike underperformed, lost at 10% versus S&P's 24.6% gain. But the year before that, Alphabet's Larry Page. His stock, 87%, S&P, 27%. In 2013, Fortune picked Elon Musk of Tesla. Hate him, like him. The stock has zoomed 156%, crushing the S&P's 44%. Finally, in 2012, oh, it's only Jeff Bezos of Amazon. Stocks quintupled. At times, I have been a little facetious with NVIDIA, half-joking that I renamed our rescue mutt Everest NVIDIA. He answers to NVIDIA, but only if I have a treat in my hand. But I did with affection. And on Twitter, I give the mood of the stock, which is highly emotional, by showing you pictures of NVIDIA, the dog. Only though I'm saying congratulations, Jensen. You deserve it. You're a visionary who's created one of the most fantastic companies of the era. And I think this story and your success are far from over. Congratulations and stick with Craig. A lot of stocks moving up in the after hours. Applied materials with a blowout quarter. Raw stores with a blowout quarter. Unbelievable gap stores with a blowout quarter. Splunk with a fabulous quarter. And Fox, 21st Century Fox, going up. Rumors of interest both from Comcast and from Verizon. You know what? These are the kinds of things that keep the bull market alive. Remember I told you the other day I thought stock prices were wrong? Well, they were. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'd find it just for you. Right here on Man Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I'll see you tomorrow. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.